Sarah is awesome, and I'm going to share a quick story about her. Uh, in 2018, Sarah made it a goal to write a note every day of that year to someone. So this is her note to me. This is a little uh, indulgent for me to read her note to me aloud to you, but I have her permission, and uh, here's how it goes. Dear Shibu, you know about my 365 notes in 2018 goal, so here's yours. You should know I liked you from the moment I met you back when you were an intern. <laughs> By the way, uh, a little quick commercial. Uh, we have some interns getting baptized today, eight of them. Uh, and uh, there are 24 interns this summer here at Heartland. And they've been in scattered fashion being trained and discipled by our, our student ministry team. But here are the eight getting baptized. Shameless plug, but baptism is awesome. Yeah, so you can clap in advance and then uh, let me... Let me read these names. Garrett Smith, Kate Galt, Austin Govia, Mason Jones, Ashlyn Jarman, Ellie Tibble, Vanya Aurora, and Evelyn Laney. So you guys, we're so uh, excited for their commitment to be baptized today. Yeah. Woo. The uh, socially distanced backyard baptism. So <laughs> we're excited about that. Anyway, back to me, the, the, the note from Sarah about me. Uh, however, I think everyone likes you from the moment they meet you. And that's because you are great at connecting with people, no matter who or what age. I admire how your connection with kids and their parents is equally valuable to you. I admire your solid faith and your ability to share it in word and deed. I love how crazy you are about Robbie. I know you're going to be a wonderful dad to your daughter too. Thanks for knowing and loving everyone in my family. We all love you too, Sarah. Now that's, that's not normal, a note like that. Like, I don't write notes like that. 365 is never a goal in my year to write notes to people about. But Sarah does. And I, what I want to say today is Sarah is one of those revolutionary Jesus first leaders among us. That because Jesus lives first in her priorities, because her entire life is oriented around that, she becomes a person who notices a pen and picks up the pen and becomes a student of people. And after she's noticed something about someone, me or the other people she wrote that year, then she, she simply builds courage into them. She becomes a builder of courage. You're going to hear those three things a few times today, but, uh, but here's what they are. A revolutionary is a person with a pen, a student of people, and a builder of courage. Now, I, I hope you've received a note like that before, but I, I even want to challenge you to think of a person you could write a note to. Think for a moment just of a name or face that might come to mind, someone you could write a simple note to. Hang on to that person's name and face. We're going to come back to that in a moment. But today, we're talking about letter writing, note writing, and it's important because there are letters in the Bible. There's some historical books in the Bible, books about law, but there are also a section of letters. And not just letters, because letter writing is a genre, a category of literature, but there's a more specific genre of letter writing that I want us to look at today, and that is letters that are written from a confined area known as a prison cell. These are really unique letters. We have an incredible prison ministry here at Heartland. Mike Farmer leads Gracious Promise, and, uh, and every week we are ministering to, to prisoners in our midst. But it's really interesting to think about what happens in, in a cell, like mentally, like who are you missing? Who are you thinking of? How do you want to get word out to them? And today we're going to look at some of the letters written from prison. There are four of them. Uh, and we've been in our journey through the book of Acts. And in the book of Acts, Paul finds himself in prison and he simply picks up a pen. He becomes a student of the people and he begins to be a builder of courage in his note writing to them. These letters become 
like a part of the Bible for 2,000 years. We, we trust and believe that the Holy Spirit used Paul's pen and gave him words that we would now abide by. So those four letters are just for your reference, Ephesians, uh, Colossians, um, uh, Philemon, and uh, the, the last one's escaping me. Hey, it's there. I just, uh, sometimes you freeze on stage, right? <laughs> so <laughs> that's just what happened there. Well, uh, so here's where we're catching up in Acts. Uh, last week we were in Ephesus with Paul, Acts chapter 19, 20. And in Ephesus, Paul has decided to go to Jerusalem. Here's a map of where Paul's been. He's been all across the, uh, the land. Uh, yeah, you can go ahead and put that map up. Thank you, Miranda. Perfect. So he's been all across those red arrows to the left there, and he has decided to go to Tyre, where that green arrow points. And from Tyre to Ptolemy, and Ptolemy to Caesarea, and he's inching closer to Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is literally on a hill, and so he must ascend and go up to Jerusalem. But there are some people that have warned him not to go to Jerusalem because he is the, he's the top of like the movement. Like Paul is the leader of the way, these early Christians. And his enemies would love to knock out the head of the movement because then maybe this uprising, this religious sect would die with its leader. And so many try to talk him out of going to Jerusalem. And here's what happens in Caesarea. This is kind of weird because it involves uh, disrobing. Uh, and a belt. So literally Paul's wearing a belt and they get to Caesarea and there's a prophet named Agabus and Agabus uses Paul's belt because Agabus has messages from the Lord and he delivers them and sometimes they're encouraging and sometimes they're just illustrating or telling what's going to happen. And, uh, and this is what Agabus does with Paul's belt. Uh, Acts chapter 21 verse 11, coming over to us, Agabus took Paul's belt off his body. That's weird. If someone takes your belt off, you, you should tell them to stop. But he tied his own hands. Paul's tied his own hands and feet together with his own belt and said this. The Holy Spirit says, in this way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. Really quickly, Paul's friends and his team say, you cannot go to Jerusalem. <laughs> Like, we knew it was going to be bad. Agabus said, this is going to happen. Keep your belt on. We don't want you to go. Paul says to them in verse 13, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. When he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. revolutionaries function a little bit differently than, than you and I sometimes. Their decision-making is based on what is the right thing to do, what's the bold thing to do, what am I called to do, regardless of the opposition that lies ahead in Jerusalem. What am I called to do in this moment? And so he does. He goes to Jerusalem. When he gets there, he's mobbed. Uh, he actually has an Ephesian friend with him. And for some reason, they think Trophimus, this Ephesian friend, that has, has gone into the sacred temple. And an Ephesian person would not be allowed into the sacred temple. And he hasn't been. Paul hasn't taken him in. But these rumors start like, Paul took Trophimus in. Get him. And they start to lay hands on Paul. Crowds of people. It is a frenzy. And they start beating and kicking and hurting Paul. And they're intent on ridding the earth of this man. That's what they say. Get rid of this man. Now, the Romans are in charge of the land. And so eventually word gets around that like Paul is getting beaten up in the town square. And the Roman commander comes with his army and says, 
you can't do this. Like, give me Paul. And so he takes Paul and separates him from the, the mob and takes him up the steps to the prison cells, to the barracks. This is where Paul's going. He hasn't done anything wrong. You know, there are some, some questions about the things he said, but he hasn't broken any laws. But these people want him and they want him dead. At the moment on the top of the stairs, Paul looks at the Roman commander and says, can I speak to the crowd? And the Roman commander says, go for it. I don't know why you want to talk to them. But he, he delivers a sermon in Acts chapter 21. It's like a full story of his life. This doesn't help his cause. <laughs> These people are already riled up. I don't know why he does this. Revolutionaries, right? We, we don't really understand the whys and the hows all the time. But he does this. And, and then he's, he's taken away to the prison. And there begins a prison transfer after prison transfer. And in this location, there's this really unique moment where a boy, a a nephew, Paul's sister's son, a nephew of Paul's, hears that 40 men in Jerusalem have vowed not to eat or drink until Paul's dead. And this boy says, I have to tell the commander about this because they're planning an ambush on the prison transfer. And we have to provide safe passage for this prisoner. And so the Roman commander does just that. He stacks it with cavalry and, and soldiers and says, you're not getting Paul because I don't know what you want him dead for, but he is not a guilty criminal yet. And he allows him safe passage to another prison. And that's where we find ourselves in this wild story in the book of Acts is a person in prison. And now he begins to think about the people on the outside, to think about who he's missing. He's missing Lydia from Philippi. He's missing uh, Damaris and Dionysius, the ones who at the Areopagus in Acts chapter 19 had given their lives to Jesus. He's, he's missing Aquila and Priscilla. All these names are flooding into his mind and all he can do is sit there in his prison cell and he realizes, I got a pen. I, I can get messages out to them. So he picks up a pen, connects it to his brain and begins to write letters to these people. And we have one of them that uh, is called the book of Ephesians. And this one was like the Ephesian church got it. And then they passed it around is what historical uh, records shows us that this letter to the Ephesians got around every city in that region. That's what revolutionaries do. They don't just sit in a cell like twiddling their thumbs. If it's me, I'm like, call the lawyer. Like, let's get out of here. I'm trying to save my own bacon. But here Paul is just saying, I'm, I'm glad to be here. I don't understand why, but I'm glad to be here. And while I'm here, let's go. I need some paper and I I need to get these letters out. What's fascinating is what he writes the Ephesians. I want to look at three moments here in uh, the gospel, the letter of Ephesians where Paul writes. He reminds them three things. He just says, remember who you are. And in Ephesus, there was, it was a polytheistic community. And Paul had been to Ephesus and called them to follow Jesus in a monotheistic way to renounce all other idols and gods. And so Paul just says to them, remember who you are. Now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That's the first thing he tells them. The second thing he tells them is this, don't worry, don't worry about me. And he says to them uh, in uh, chapter three, verses one and 13, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, I ask you not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. It's really interesting there, prisoner of Christ Jesus It's like, you're actually the prisoner of some mob in the Roman Empire right now. Not in Paul's eyes. God has allowed everything in his life to happen. And there is no thing that will not be used by God to create good for his kingdom and to grow his kingdom on planet Earth. 
The last thing Paul does is he reminds them to pray. In Ephesians 6, 19, for 19 and 20, he says, Pray for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Those are the letters. That's what the Ephesian church gets. And they realize, okay, Paul's serious. He's okay being there. He tells us not to worry about him. Uh, we're going to keep sending him cookies, but he's good. He wants us to move on. He wants us to continue to be the church. What's, uh, what's really interesting about letter writing from a prison cell is you kind of treat it like it's your, it's your last shot. <laughs> like you want to get this out. You don't know what tomorrow holds. And especially for wrongfully imprisoned people like Paul in this moment, there's laws of the land that maybe he's violated, but the laws of God, which are higher than the laws of the land, he has not violated and he is in trouble now, but using his moment to write these letters. Last week, we looked at a couple revolutionaries, three in fact, Corey Ten Boom, we looked at uh, Mother Teresa and Rosa Parks, these three females who used their position to, to yes, experienced personal transformation and societal transformation. They changed our world. They were revolutionaries. And today I want to point you to two more. These are two heroes of mine. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who June 7th, I, I taught on this stage and uh, we had a, uh, a message that told Dietrich's life story. And so if you want to catch up on why Dietrich, who Dietrich is, that's a great place to start June 7th uh, among countless other biographies. But Dietrich found himself in prison for about two years, the same time that Paul was in prison. And in this moment, Dietrich, he's been helping during the Holocaust, he's been helping Jewish victims get to safe havens like Switzerland and Poland. And, and then ultimately he's decided that the Holocaust needs to end and the way it ends is with Adolf Hitler's assassination. It's a big decision. Bonhoeffer wrote this book, this thing called Ethics, by the way. So like he didn't lightly make this decision. And it's in this plot to assassinate Adolf Hitler where he's captured and taken prisoner. And for two years, he's held in a German prison, Tegel. And in Tegel, I want you to listen to what he writes because um, he's writing letters to his parents. He's writing letters to his friends, Eberhard Betgay. And he's writing, writing, writing. And this is what he writes while he's in prison. I, my Bible is upside down. That's why I didn't have the note in the right split. <laughs> this is what Dietrich writes. Listen for the, the language here that's really like, it's a thread. It's like the same thread in Paul's letters that's now in Dietrich's letters. Please don't ever get anxious or worry about me. But don't forget to pray for me. I'm sure you don't, but I'm so sure, I am so sure of God's guiding hand that I hope I shall always be kept in that certainty. You must never doubt that I'm traveling with gratitude and cheerfulness along the road where I'm being led. My past life is brim full of God's goodness and my sins are covered by the forgiving love of Christ crucified. Teagle Prison, 1944. Again, a revolutionary life that, that one, of the, one of the markers of a re revolutionary life is that they are people who pick up the pen and they are students of people and they encourage, they build courage into those around them. It's a fascinating story. The second one is Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And in, uh, he finds himself in Alabama coming to support the peaceful nonviolent protest happening in Alabama. And, uh, and he becomes in prison. He, he gets imprisoned because of his role in leading this nonviolent protest. Now, 
what's, what happens next is interesting because some white clergymen, rabbis and other pastors get together and write Dr. King a letter, except they don't mail it to him. They put it in the newspaper. <laughs> it's a really interesting way to get someone's attention, but it does get Dr. King's attention. And he even says in the letter from the Birmingham jail, I don't respond to all my criticism, but because you are religious leaders, I trust you. I trust your heart to engage these difficult matters. So hear me out. And the letter from the Birmingham jail is like one of the most important pieces of non-scripture literature that I've read. It's incredibly fascinating. And here's what, here's what the clergyman wrote to Dr. King. We recognize, the ne- and they, they, by the way, they called the protest and the nonviolent action unwise and untimely. That was kind of the headline. And they said this, we recognize the natural impatience of people, black people, who feel that their hopes are slow in being realized. They say more than that, and I'd encourage you to, to read the letter on your own. But Dr. King writes in response, I am in Birmingham because injustice is here. Again, listen for the threads of of the New Testament and the letters Paul wrote. I am in Birmingham because injustice is here. Just as the apostle Paul left his little village in Tarsus and carried the gospel of Jesus Christ to practically every hamlet and city of the Greco-Roman world, I too am compelled to carry the gospel of freedom beyond my particular hometown. Like Paul, I must constantly respond to the Macedonian call for aid. April 16th, 1963. And then he, he does something interesting because you can, be a, you can be a student of people and you can be a person with a pen and you can build the courage out. But what Dr. King does in this moment is he builds the courage of his followers up by calling out the evil in the world of that day. And this is what he says. For years now, speaking to the clergyman, for years now, I have heard the word wait. It rings in the ear of every Negro with piercing familiarity. This wait has almost always meant Never. We must come to see with one of our distinguished jurists. That's a previous uh, American lawyer that remains unknown and unknown and unnamed. But we must come to see with one of our distinguished jurists that justice too long delayed is justice denied. Revolutionaries, <laughs> they poke the bear. <laughs> They don't like just have this woeful, why am I here? When am I going to get out? They pick up their pens. They become a student of all the people around them. And then they encourage, they build courage into people. It's fascinating. It's, it takes everything for them to do those things. I don't think these are easy tasks, but they are the right tasks. I got a... Uh, um, a letter about 14 years ago from Isaac Anderson. And not a letter, it was just a, a three by five note card. You got one of these on your chair. If you're at home, uh, grab a three by five note card. I'm sure you'd rather use it for what I'm about to tell you to use it for than you would any science research paper, which is what three by five cards remind me of. <laughs> but uh, Isaac Anderson was a pastor here on staff. He led our internship many years ago and I was one of those interns. and. And Isaac decided to leave to Ohio State University to pursue a master's degree in fine arts and literature, writing literature. And he left and he actually sent an Evite out. I remember the Evite. It was really specific. It said, please indicate if you're coming to the party. It's important. It's like, okay, I'm coming to the party, Isaac. And, and this is a picture of the party here. You'll notice that uh, there's a man in a green striped shirt. This is about 14 years ago. That is Seth Davidson, <laughs> which is just really funny to me. Uh, and then uh, 
and this is the, at the home of the Blessings where Isaac was living at the time. And, uh, and Isaac said during his night of saying farewell, he just said, hey, on the coffee table, there's some note cards. Everyone that's here, I've thought of you and spent some time briefly reflecting on who you are to me. And after, after the party, I'd love for you to take this note card home. I picked up my note card, said Shibu on one side. And on the other side, it had 10 words. Humble, teachable, brave. Dude, I'm so glad I know you. Humble, teachable, brave, dude. I'm so glad I know you. Now this, this is a facsimile. I would not crinkle the real thing up in my pocket because it's framed actually at home. Those 10 words marked me. Isaac was a spiritual father, who he was, where he was going, leaving us, and then leaving me specifically with these 10 words that were true. Isaac was a, is a person who picked up his pen, became a student of namely me in that moment and countless others, and then began to build courage up in many of us. I, I don't have any other three by five cards that existed 15, 14 years ago. This is the one. This is the power that note writing, letter writing can take. And yes, when they're written from a prison cell and they're sent to the Ephesians, they become Holy Scripture. But when you and I receive these words of encouragement from people in our lives, they get deposited in not the same way, but in in a similar way, right? Right? These things are deposited in us. And so I don't know about you, who you need to write a note to, who you want to write a note to. Years ago, Tom Bronner challenged me and some other interns to write a note to our parents. It was like, I see them all the time. (laughs) Why do I need to write a note to my mom and dad? He said, write them a note thanking them and say whatever you want to say. And so I did. It became one of the hardest, one of the most meaningful things that I did in my life, working this muscle of writing notes that would build someone's courage up. I didn't think I as a son could encourage my parents, but in that moment I learned I can. And so that's, that's the invitation for you. That's the challenge for you today. Would you take a three by five card? Would you take something longer? A gentleman after the 9 a.m. service told me that he wrote a six page letter to his dad. Just telling him what he meant to him. Could you pick up a pen? Could you see that writing utensil as an instrument of creativity that actually literally, as the ink leaves the pen, it creates something in the world. It creates courage in our world. And it gives to someone who needs it or doesn't need it in that moment, it gives them something they need to move forward. It's a beautiful opportunity. It's It's one where you and I could be a little bit like the revolutionaries, Sarah Stauffer, and commit to that as a habit. And I don't know, I don't know what it is for you, but I know God's putting a mind and a face, a face and a name on your mind today. Someone to, to build the courage of. And by the way, this is just a, a last minute thought, but some of us need that. And we're kind of waiting for a note. <laughs> Uh, something I've been learning in marriage and relationships lately is I kind of have to articulate my needs. <laughs> I got to tell people what I want. And so I got to ask for encouragement. Like, would you encourage, I'm in a really hard season right now. Would you encourage me? And we open access for people to, to write us notes like that, you know? We would love to um, 
as we wrap up today, be praying for you down here. If you have anything you would like to pray for, we'd love to meet you out by the light box too. We'll have a prayer uh, team member out there as well. But I really get excited thinking of the revolutionaries in this room taking some three by five cards and, and encouraging and emboldening the faith of so many out there. So I'm gonna pray for us and then we will uh, say goodbye and you're on the hook for who can you encourage in their faith today? Heavenly Father, we just see you sending your son Jesus into our world to not simply encourage us, but to, to save us. and to do way more than write a letter to us. But we, we see that as, a, as something to live up to, something to aspire to, Jesus, your sacrifice, your love, that we could be people who, as part of being a revolutionary, Jesus' first follower, begin to change the world we live in. Whether that's through notes or individual transformation or societal change, God, we say yes to whatever you're leading us to today. In your name, Jesus, amen.